Hello friends, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to episode 65 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in and listening to this one as ever, hope you dig it. So it is the busiest time of the year and you catch me rushing to the airport, trying to get a quick intro out of the way before I do. So yeah, let's see how we get on. So this one you could consider to be the final part of my Loose Kendall trilogy recorded at the Kendall Martin Festival at the end of November 2018. This is my interview with the great Dan Milner, a photographer who's been a legend on the snowboard and mountain bike scene for years now. Now, I go back a long way with Dan, which is something I seem to say quite often on this podcast. So when I saw he'd be speaking at Kendall this year, I got in touch and arranged to chat to him there. And it's fair to say that these days in mountain biking, like I say, Milnog is a pretty big deal. But when I first met him back at the end of the 90s, we were both running snowboard mags and essentially doing the same thing, which was pissing around, going snowboarding and traveling to as many weird places as we possibly could. Now, that was only a fairly short 10-year interlude in my life, whereas Milner has kept on doing it. First, we were snowboarding. Uh, He was the photographer at large for Snowboard UK, the photo editor. He also accompanied Jeremy Jones on the Further Deeper Higher trilogy, just to give you a taste of the range of his snowboarding experience. And increasingly with mountain biking, the world in which today, like I say, he enjoys the most renown. And well, he might, because as well as being an incredible photographer, obviously, Dan has continued to travel to an ever-increasing number of fascinating and unusual locations. Lesotho, Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, just to name a few, and latterly North Korea, where he undertook the first documented mountain bike trip earlier this year. That's what he was in Kendall Kendall to discuss. And uh, yeah, I went to see his lecture before we chatted, and it was a really fascinating insight into his incredible adventure, obviously. But it was also a very revealing look at the motivation of the man, why basically so that's what we discussed in a hugely enjoyable conversation on Dan's life and career now as you can hear Dan is a very very smart man a wry and uh, usually occasionally spiky presence which means a chat with Dan is always an enjoyably combative experience challenging and thought-provoking and that's how it went down in this case luckily I very much enjoy those types of conversations so uh, I think we I think we both really enjoyed the uh the back and forth on this one. He's a really principled, passionate man, Dan. So while I was interested in hearing how story, like all his stories about this incredible life and challenge, I was also pretty interested in how he squares the essential frivolity of what we all do in this game with the principles that have defined his life. So yeah, a really multi-dimensional chat, this one, about the experience and meaning of a life of travel. It's also an object lesson in another key looking sideways theme, how being single-minded and dedicated to a life of experience could, if you're lucky, enable a career to flourish and develop as it did with Dan. Milner's always great company, Really enjoyed this one. There's more yibble from me at the end. So in the meantime, here it is, me chatting to Dan Milner, Universal Traveller. Enjoy. Yeah, Yeah, now I'm wired. (laughs) (laughs) We had a little false start there. I was just explaining to Dan that I've... I'm I'm distrusting my voice recorder more and more. And that's how I started our conversation. And it's just 
proven the point mm. let's I say have, i have a lot of false starts at my age yeah. <laughs> i'll tell you that much so and you were yeah. saying that you were wired after your conversation yeah, just about had a North little Korea. talk just had a an hour-long talk at the kendall film festival yeah on a trip that we just did a month or two months ago yeah to north korea and mount, you, mountain biking yeah and you uh do you do a lot of these presentations then where you kind of do these I do these trips i really then? enjoy sharing them I really enjoy doing slideshows right. and talking about the stuff. And I think I think most people quite enjoy seeing them as well. Yeah. That's the feedback. We had a big crowd. Yeah, it, did, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it and was good. Some of them I didn't even pay yeah. to, to be there. So yeah, yeah. Quids in. Yeah, well, like we, like we were saying, you, you know, mountain biking in North Korea, it's, it stands out on this Kendall Mountain Festival bill, I would say. Yeah, it's quite unique, isn't it? Yeah, for a man um, as well-traveled as yourself... Yeah, but well. that's the thing, isn't it? There's people say there can't be that many places left to go and try and mountain bike and things, but there are there are lots of places yeah. left to go, and one of them was North Korea. Yeah, until September. So you were the, like the first people to go and do yeah, it. Yeah, nobody's tried mountain biking there, mainly because it's really hard to get any information on yeah. even trails. Are there trails? Do they exist? And so a guy, uh, he, he's called Tom Bodkin. He runs a company called Secret Compass. Do sort of quite out there guided uh, travel uh, expeditions. Yeah. And I've worked with him on a couple of projects before. And he, he said, why don't we go, why don't we try mountain bike in North Korea? And as you know, it's on some of these things, the mountain biking is just an excuse yeah. to go. Yeah. So it was for us. We had really little idea of how that would translate on the ground. Yeah. And so we said, yeah, this is an excuse to go. Let's get into North Korea, have a look. As a photographer, you know, yeah. it's, that's a huge opportunity. Is that, is that always the motivation for these trips that you do? Because you, you are noted for your, you know, you just, before we even started recording, you were like, well, I've just been to Ethiopia, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, North Korea. You know, you are, even for somebody that does your job, extremely well-traveled yeah. and also very well-traveled to pretty random places, to be honest, you know, away from the norm that you might usually go and do these pursuits. So is that big part of the appeal to, to see the different cultures yeah it's that... not a, yeah it's definitely about the different cultures it's nothing to do with being the first like i mean that happens to be a lot of the way you can sell stories yeah to the media is to be the first it's the same with all adventure people yeah if they're trying to make a living out of it you've usually got to be the first or you've got to, if you're doing something similar to somebody else you've got to do it a different way you've got to do it on a pogo stick or yeah you know a space hopper or something like that you joke about i actually met a guy recently who'd done a trip space hopping across the alps yes so. i've saw, i've seen that well he might he might have been inspired by my film that got screened at kendall festival last year right psi look it up on youtube right right uh psi it's called um Link, yes, links in show marvelous. notes slow, a glorious slow-mo 4k right. fantastic but anyway. you, need, you need that angle you need that kind of to to try and get get interest for these trips. yeah if you're trying to make it pay at least so but personally i'm driven by just curiosity and that's yeah. and it's curiosity about different places i've always been into travel stuff since the 80s getting to places that are just off the beaten track and i but i think the more i've thought about it especially over the last sort of decade it's exploring what makes me tick 
you know that's very deep that was quite deep it's one. deep for four <laughs> minutes but I'm, but, I'm, but I'm, yeah we should have got i mean we don't <laughs> usually in. touch that until I'm in. 20 minutes i'm in, in i like it i yeah, like it see i i know how to make these things yeah you've, I can you sell these you know the brief you know good, the brief eh? uh, well um, one of the things you said yeah. and i did i did make some notes during your during your uh, talk but one of the things you did say was that you know you said that you use the bike to break down barriers and you said uh people are people which is something that um, I equally have found throughout the travels that I've done, been lucky enough to also travel in to some fairly incongruous yeah, destinations with, stuff, a, with a snowboard. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, that is the one truth that you becomes, you know, everywhere you go, it becomes more and more um, fulfilling, doesn't it? Like people are exactly the fucking same. It, it Yeah, that's exactly it. They are, well, not quite exactly the same, obviously, but we are human and and it's, and I think I'm always driven more and more so to find that humanity in other places. And as a photographer, trying to record that humanity rather than just expeditions for expedition's sake, rather than we snowboarded off this peak because yeah. it was really fun, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, because we're rad. Do people still say rad? Can. Yeah. You can. I can on the podcast. I'm, I've been guilty of it. There you go. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. So, yeah, there's definitely finding that common humanity. And what I found uh, with definitely with bikes is that a lot of the places I go, there's a cultural and language and a class and a wealth barrier. Um, or any, any one of, could be one of those, could be all of those. Yeah that gets in the way and the bikes are the best way I've found ever of breaking those down because virtually everybody in UX excluded perhaps can relate to the like humble bike. Yeah. And there are plenty of places you go like in the upper Himalayas where the bike's just a ridiculous tool. Like there's no way locals would ever try and use a bike there. Yeah. I mean, cause, it's just cause they live in the Himalayas. Idiot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's like, who are these? But the fact that you turn up with one, they know what a bike is. <laughs> who are this lot? Yeah, yeah. Look at them. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah. Where so, are you from? Oh, England. Like what? <laughs> like, what did you, you ride here? Yeah. What are you doing there? Yeah. Ride bikes. Yeah. Take pictures of them. I mean that, that, that in itself is another conversation, isn't sure. it? Like making yeah. a living out of, the luxury of making a living out of things like we do. Yeah. Which we've both had to, to do. Yeah. To knuckle down and, and just do normal work. Um, so the bike breaks down barriers. Yeah. I've said in this talk and I say it quite often, that, yeah. you know, you turn up on a bike. Firstly, people don't, they've got no appreciation of the wealth that you've got in terms of the value of your bike. Yeah. So kids will just come and like, pull on the brake levers which can be really annoying at times but <laughs> yeah. especially while you're riding along yeah um the blokes it's amazing old blokes will just gather and scratch their chins and look at your bike and they'll start really trying to work out the mechanics of it right especially with suspension and things first of all they'll work out start working out how many gears there are they'll look at how many gears at the front how many at the back start multiplying things kicking the tires kicking <laughs> kicking yeah, the tires yeah. wouldn't buy that wouldn't, wouldn't spend more than French 10 puncher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sort of thing so and and kids you know they're wheelie if they've got bikes themselves they'll come and ride alongside you yeah. so you have this immediate breakthrough of, of all these barriers that would yeah. otherwise be there fantastic it's a bit like the football chat i always have the football chat whenever i go in the world but you know people there is common cultural ground basically is what you're saying isn't it you know like and you can find it and it's not what's represented by the perception that you're given about a place like north korea essentially exactly um you know we did a trip to Kashmir 
uh, and I've done another one to Pakistan snowboard trips years ago and cricket was the yeah was the underlying unifier for us there yeah we, and I grew up with cricket my dad played cricket every you can weekend chat cricket yeah. and I had to go it was horrible uh, yeah as a kid walking around a cricket ground <laughs> but it armed you <laughs> got me ready for trips to Kashmir and Pakistan how funny is that though like that yeah. is hilarious isn't it that then suddenly one day you're like oh yeah okay yeah, well cricket. that's it I mean everything you do uh, gives you a chance to learn something yeah I mean that sounds really academic and highbrow but it does and it, if you can pull something out of that and learn something about yourself and learn something about the world you'll find somewhere of it, years down the line you'll apply it so that's what keeps somewhere. taking you taking you to these places oh we're back to that Jeez, yeah that was a long answer wasn't it? no it was a good one but yeah. this is but this is why you keep yeah because you've the other thing i'm interested in because we've known, known each other years and yeah. you're still doing it you're still I doing know. these trips don't like, know what else to do but it, you know and i I don't know if any of our lot that we that have all done this for years is still doing it to some extent. You know, you are still literally like every year back. You know, I'll see you at something like this, or I'll read one of your stories or whatever. And and you you're still you're out the there. one. You're the one that reads. <laughs> Swan's go. Yeah, <laughs> you're it's my like, only subscriber. It's like Swan's got to read the show notes of this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure somebody does. Well, that's right. I mean, I think it's different for athletes. You know, that I've worked with so many different like incredible athletes at the top of their game yeah but they have they do have an expiry date yeah on on performance and that's not to say what we do doesn't need that performance i still have to carry bikes over four and a half thousand meter passes yeah i mean I, and that, it doesn't get any easier that was noticeable in that talk yeah. you know some you were quite blase you like and then we had to hike up this with the you know and i was like jesus christ that looks like hard work like that you know yeah so it yeah i would say um definitely quite good longevity to what i've done but i think going back to an earlier point is that if you can find that niche yeah in that as a photographer or a storyteller then you're you can make it work you can keep going because you can evolve that and you can find the niche to sell it and then then it's just about how much energy and how much personal ambition you've got to see these places and it as i say they don't get any they don't get any easier no the older you get yeah i mean long flights and long train rides and bumpy ju- car journeys for two days are not are not fun no. anymore but they're part and parcel of the the bigger picture you know the type two fun yeah builds into the whole yeah that was amazing at the end yeah kind of thing but you have to have that um commitment and understanding that the big picture is going to be worth getting through yeah the type two fun yeah one of the things that was also interesting about your talk on this point of of finding your niche and and you know working out how you can make it work for you you crowdfunded it yeah so yeah. and that and i was really interested in that because we were lucky enough back in the day we could find other people to pay for it but obviously that's really different now so how have you done that for a lot of your recent trips no, that was the first first and only time we've tried it right um it came about purely because what was the pitch well, because obviously it's no. not. Please pay for me to go on a holiday in North no, Korea. No, no. Well, it wasn't tea. quite like that. But you know what I mean, though. Like, it, as somebody that's finance these trips myself, I was pretty interested in that. I was like, wow, okay. Like, so getting that's a different yeah. model. So it what, is a very different model. It's very, um, it's very today, isn't it? Yeah. I thought for me as well. That's a, that's like I've I learned what a hashtag is and things like that. It's quite <laughs> always learning. See, always learning. <laughs> yeah, it's learning experience. Yeah. Um, it came about because. Normally on trips like this, you would... I mean, that trip was £16,000. Yeah, you kicked... Essentially. Your crowdfund was twelve grand. I saw, right? Yeah, we only raised 
just under 3,000 of that. Yeah. So what happened, normally we would get riders, sponsors to pay for a trip like that because yeah. we'll get, you know. So what are you doing? You're we making might land films. 100. Uh, we didn't film actually on that but one. But you'll normally try and put a range of stuff together. You do stories, you'll, yeah. you'll do clips. Like, is that the normal kind of output that yeah, you're Yeah, I would do? say to sponsors, hey, look, we want to do this trip. It's so groundbreaking. It's so ridiculous. It's going to turn heads. It's going to land a hundred pages in print around the world. Yeah. Plus whatever million views online, let's make it work. And normally companies will say, yeah, okay, we'll send these couple of riders and we'll pay for it. Yeah. And, and they appreciate, or they can identify and it has to fit in with their brand, you know, sure. there's a lot of like, does this work for your brand? And it just didn't work for brands. Like North Korea is such a hot potato. Too, too far. Yeah. It's just like, it's the most evil like place Milner's on got, the planet. Milner's gone crazy. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a What is he doing now? Yeah. We're not touching it with a barge pole. Right, really, that was the reaction. Yeah. And and then, so I, especially from American companies, uh, and yeah, people right. are just, it's quite a risk-averse industry. land of the cultural broad it's, stroke. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. North Korea? What the it's, fuck? You know, um, and I can understand it to an extent. It's, you know... We're not, I'm not naive to to not realize that stuff needs to sell to to make things work. Yeah, and, you know, pay for trips and sponsors. Well, and that's like that, that's been your niche. That's what you've been able to do. You've yeah. been able to sell those yeah, exactly. pretty obscure stories. So and you've been really good at it. Yeah. So what happened was that the usual companies that would step up to that didn't step up to it. Right. Left us with a big void. We did get some support from Evoc. Really good support from Evoc there. Yeah. They sponsored the two riders and and, and Magura chipped in, and then but it left us about nine thousand pounds short right. for three of us to raise. So, so we you did the crowd. So I just said, well, let's try and crowdfund it. Yeah, and I actually expected it to go massive. I thought we were going to get like fifteen thousand people all chipping in one pound. You know, it's just like, yeah, we'll send you. You get, and we were primarily saying, you get to read this story. This yeah. is the most groundbreaking story we've done. Well, there's that essay, isn't there? A Thousand True Fans. Have you heard of that? Kevin no. Kelly, guy that started Wired. It's pretty famous, but the whole contention is if you can get a thousand people, oh, yeah. they'll buy into what you do. And okay. they'll buy a t-shirt, they'll they'll buy a record, they'll pay for your film. You can make a living. You right. know, you can, you can do the things that you want to do. Okay. Well, sounds they didn't great. This sounds great in theory. <laughs> I've tried it with yeah, the podcast. I didn't. <laughs> I did a poll. Anyone want to pay a quid for the podcast? Yeah. It was like overwhelmingly like fuck no, off mate no. you, you pay us to listen <laughs> yeah to yeah no. you no, it's free this thing we ain't paying for it so, yeah. but but it's hard is my point you can't it you know you, hard. it's hard yeah. to, to get people to pay for things like that definitely it, it, so yeah, that it which you found out so we we ended up um getting a, a reasonable amount contributed yeah um we offered postcards from sent from north korea we sent 52 postcards right so what we ended up doing uh, we got much fewer people. I think there was less than a hundred people commu- like contributed. Yeah, but they contributed bigger sums. But they were into it more. They're so. more into it. Yeah. So we raised just under three grand, and the rest of it we just said, you know what, we got to go. Let's just go. So we did. Right. So mm. what's what? What are you going to do for it? You're going to write stories. Yeah, the story first one just came out in the German magazine, bike yeah. bike magazine. Uh, comes out in Mountain Biking UK next month. Yeah. So yeah, that will now come out in outside online uh, various other media. because that's kind of your model in it you're still you know doing that thing i assume where you'll do a trip and you sell it to like lots of different titles basically yeah and syndicate it yeah kind of out which yeah. is still kind of working yeah it's it's working i've got 
long established relationships yeah. with those titles it's really hard to break into it with a new title you know everybody said just go and sell every the guardian and want that you observe her on sunday yeah, or want right. that but you try breaking in cold even doesn't matter what your subject is no into a new media so new need, new editor it's a network isn't it you need a network, network. Yeah. yeah once they've heard this podcast though They'll be queuing shit's up. Shit's going viral. Queuing, <laughs> queuing up. I've had, I've had that viral shit that yeah. was in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about was, that. I yeah. thought it was Pakistan, but anyway. Well, it's a, it's <laughs> a lot, of, lot of places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Milton Keynes too. Sure, yeah. Um, and like I said, been lucky enough to travel to some fairly uh, out there places and you mm. do need fixers and you do need government um, backing to do a project like Go Mountain Biking in North Korea. So, what on earth did they make of of you lot in North Korean officialdom when you when you approached them and said we're going to go mountain biking? Presumably they just didn't have any. They didn't really know. Yeah, they didn't. At all. Not at all. They didn't, and that didn't come through in the planning side of it. That was more. Well, you want to go to these three places in the country. Yeah, it's a very mountainous country, so it's, you know, it was like we'll get you there and we'll look after you and we'll put you, we'll sort all the hotels out and we you have a couple of fixers with you the whole time right. guides stroke minders whatever they're going to whatever you want to call them and so it wasn't particularly complicated it's not a hard place to go if you're american it's hard because the us state department won't let you go sure um but for europeans and most of the rest of the world it's not not that complicated to do paperwork get your visa yeah quite simple and go you just got to pay this state tourist board to to host you. Yeah, and they set you up with fixes. Presumably. So they, yeah, they give us fixes that were with us the two weeks. They're always brilliant, though, aren't they? Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and you, we. What was interesting? We we started the trip uh, on an agenda where we needed to do the mountain biking. We weren't there as just tourists. We're trying to ride bikes here and there. We were like, we need to sh- shoot this mountain bike story but we need to do this without them knowing we're shooting a mountain bike story that was the plan yeah we didn't go as journalists or a or a media crew that, you gotta that make that, involves different you've got to make that call haven't you because it's, yeah. it's way more much more red tape and way more expensive yeah, to way, do that way more so you went the tourist route and you're just going to sneak your camera out uh yeah we didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah i shot with the smallest camera ever. yeah no it was got got that like, in the bow tie <laughs> yeah, with those pair of glasses yeah. the, the image quality is absolutely atrocious yeah, but it yeah. doesn't matter uh, right? yeah it's all That's part of the mystique yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah blurry my, my speciality has always been arty pictures so yeah yeah that's fine i get away with it lack of focus yeah yeah, yeah my mum used to say i've got lack <laughs> of focus but i think she's talking about something else um so it was actually fairly easy and then when we're on the ground yeah suddenly you're thinking okay how does how's this going to work but it was so steep that mountains were so steep we're right. just carrying bikes vertically up the hillside yeah the guys were running ahead of us and pulling out their smartphones and just endlessly recording gigabytes of data, really? pictures of us that they can't share anywhere but North Korea. It was fantastic. It was just brilliant. Like they, they were buzzing their tits off about about being with us. So much so that we managed to get them to sleep out overnight in the rain at the top of a mountain, way away from our posh hotel. Yeah. They were just became into it we'll do that brilliant um they didn't know what to expect right nor did we really well that just changed their lives don't it i mean completely yeah i think so um in in small small doses yeah you know we didn't go there to change anything other than i mean we got this breakdown barriers but that's more about us learning about ourselves and and trying to you know we're we're fed so much nonsense all around especially today you know with like fake news nonsense and 
it's just good to get behind that and just go somewhere and see it for yourself. Yeah. You know, I've got, I came up with this hashtag, sort of a slogan. If you don't go, you'll never know. I did that with, and I was doing these films for Epic TV a few years back. And, you know, I've stuck to that because it's, it seems to sum it up. It's not a very catchy hashtag. It's a bit long. (laughs) Use all your letter counts. It's memorable though. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, there's that. It can be licensed from me. Yeah. At a reasonable rate. Yeah, yeah. Again, show notes. I'll bang it in. Yeah. But you mentioned earlier, and that you're going to like this segue, um, that you, you know, you needed to, you need to find your niche and that you realized this quite early, that you, the, the traveling and you got a lot out of it. And so when, when did this all start? Because I, I first obviously met you in the, in your snowboarding heyday, got to be getting on for 20 years ago, like a while ago. Yeah, Can't even remember. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, I was... Oh. I was early 20s doing white lines. I was probably only six years old. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I don't really know how you got into it from before that. So yeah. what, what what's the story um, there? Yeah, I've, it's something I've documented a little bit before. Uh, it's I just went off to South America. I finished, I did a university, I did a degree in marine biology right. in Swansea. Okay. And... Um, How's that working out for you? Yeah, pretty, yeah, <laughs> pretty good. See some fish every now and then. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the market. Uh, and I finished that and then sort of potted about for a year and then just went, I'm going to go off to South America. Right. And I saved up a thousand pounds and went to South America on my own because there was quite a lot of political struggles going on and yeah, I was well, quite focused you're very on, you were very engaged and still are engaged right in, yeah in, in, yeah in, political in, I'm interested yeah yeah in in uh, bettering ourselves yeah in humanity and political struggles have always been on the on the cards and interesting so and there was, was that, a lot going on was that a there. reason one of the reasons that you went to yeah to South America and my grandparents lived there in the 70s okay uh, early 70s in Buenos Aires in Argentina for just for a couple of years and I remember I've got these really early childhood memories of them coming back and visiting a couple of times to the UK and giving me telling us stories as kids I probably was like five six years old at most and I still remember this story about them being up in the north and driving along some dirt road up in the north of Argentina and being stopped by bandits right which as a, and now I'd think, oh, that's awful. Yeah. You know, just like, <laughs> you know, let's, don't want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. But as a kid, you're just enchanted. Yeah. I, I think that sowed the seed. And then I had a, uh, had a teacher at school that was really, really influential on, like, he would just disappear the day term finished, summer holidays. On that day, he'd leave and travel and then come back the day before it started. Right. And he'd always come back almost still in the clothes. He just hiked around Nepal in all sweaty still, not even had a chance for a bath. And I just admired him so much. Just thought this is amazing. Yeah. It's what you need to do. Where are so, you from? Uh, Milton Keynes. Right. So Luton originally. Pretty exotic. Yeah, it was pretty exotic. Yeah. Because yeah. I had a teacher yeah. like that at primary school. You used to go like Kathmandu on holidays. You used to come back to show slideshows and stuff. And obviously like in the 80s, that is yeah. fairly, you know, impressionable kid. You remember that stuff, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. So I went off uh, to South America for seven. My money lasted me seven months. Yeah, I was going to say you probably got a lot out of that ground, quite, didn't you? Quite a lot out there. I mean, a pound, <laughs> pound a night for yeah. a hotel, you know, or a, a room. And I photographed, got caught up. I went looking for political trouble over there. Right, was sort of caught up in 
spent two months in Chile just before Pinochet fell, basically. Right. They had a dictatorship for 16 years, very right-wing yeah, yeah. fascist dictator. And uh, he, he just before he fell, it was the country was going berserk. And so I was there for that. And there was water cannon and tear gas everywhere. And I started taking a lot of pictures of that kind of thing. So you already had the interest in photography at this point? Yeah, I think just from a travel side of it. Yeah. I was just... Like, yeah, this is, this is quite interesting documenting things. I can't say those pictures are amazing, you know, but just carried a camera and took pictures. Yeah. And it seemed pretty fun. I'd been taking pictures already on other things. And yeah, it kind of the travel thing got me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when did the, so what's this like mid 80s? Yeah, this would, well, South America would be 89. Right. Because you right were also you know involved back home like kind of poltax protests well, I mean, who wasn't involved in poltax you know what i mean though but like stuff. that you were quite again engaged oh in, yeah in, well you've got to rattle the cage at home haven't you? yeah but you were you were in the thick of that basically yeah, i was paid well. by the communist russia no apparently <laughs> that's what the daily express said <laughs> that's what they used to say wasn't it <laughs> yeah uh yeah yeah you've got to rattle the cage haven't you got yeah to protest when there's injustice so, yeah, we got quite involved in that. Took some quite interesting pictures at the Poltex demonstration, a.k.a. a riot. Yeah, Trafalgar London. Square. Trafalgar Square. 1990. South African Embassy. Yeah. I think it was 91. Uh, South African Embassy on fire. Yeah. That's quite interesting. So, I mean, it seems... Time of apartheid. Yeah. Think back to that. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, it was pre... It was around about the time where they started bringing in CCTV. They started yeah. bringing in things. I mean, you. I look back on it now and... It's just crazy. I mean, I was really involved in the punk scene for years. Right. I've just, I'm actually off to punk thing, punk festival tomorrow. Tomorrow oh, you night are? down in Chippenham oh, for actually, two nights. Oh, actually, yeah, I remember you did that last year. We got uh, the train yeah. out, didn't we? And you yeah. said, yeah, I'm off to this festival. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm yeah. still, still into that. Still and, into the uh, scene. And what we sang about, that's the mad thing. What we sang about and listened to and all the lyrics in the 80s were about the world that we've become. Like everything's monitored, everything, nobody does anything but is on social media. I mean, we didn't know social media then, but it was all yeah. about, it was very 1984. That Orwellian. was a very dystopian kind of yeah. view of the future, and which has come to pass. So much of it, you know, the, yeah. the world in ruin, the environment destroyed, all yeah. these heavy, heavy subjects yeah. that we're all shouting and chanting about, but nobody listened to us because we're all messy urchins with spiky hair, you know. Yeah, but even then, back then, I mean, that that was a genuine subculture which was a genuine alternative voice and it's all been a bit subsumed doesn't it these days yeah. by by you know it's all just the lines are all very blurred aren't they yeah. and that yeah it's all just one sort of amorphous culture in a way isn't it you know what i mean like you don't really yep. you don't really get that genuine alternative view of the world that much anymore whereas when i was growing up and obviously you were really involved in that it was it was really accessible you know yeah. you could find that worldview couldn't you, you yeah know? you could and it yeah it was very it's very sort of delineated and clear yeah. cut and you could you could drop into one one section and one mold and fit the bill you, you could know? be principles you could yeah. you could have yeah. whereas these days it's all a bit but meh, at the same time it? it's all the the whole rebellion thing the whole uh, resistance thing rather than rebellion has been diluted. That's part of what you know we're about aware about. Is that's what you I mean? Can give yeah, you give people an iPhone and they're that's you know, they're happy. Yeah, it's like you've just bought them out for a piece of yeah yeah technology. Yeah, that's all, all our lives, our quality of lives are supposed to be dictated by uh, by well technology and gadgets and consumerism. And whereas this, I think, was what the adventure thing has always been. So interesting to me and 
I, I don't need to be on a big posh bike to go and do it. It's about going and finding stuff and finding it for yourself. Yeah. And finding what my big bugbear now is how everybody will go to events, even punk gigs, you know, shocking to say. Film it. And just be there filming it. Just live the moment. You're never going to get that moment again. Never, ever going to get that moment well, again. You can, you can if you film it. You rewatch oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I realise that. No, it's weird, though, isn't it? But that's I, I've done it. I find myself doing it. But it's odd coming from a photographer as well. When my job is to record, maybe that's why I'm not into it when I'm doing something for fun. Right. Or interest. Yeah. I don't want it to be done. But I, I genuinely feel like I've done bike trips where the riders are so so focused on filming everything and social media that we did a trip in Lesotho in Africa a couple of years ago. Fascinating, you know, it was all geared towards looking at how tourism can, has the potential adventure, not vegetable tourism, adventure tourism can can boost their economy because it's an incredibly poor country with a pretty hard, hard hit population like HIV positive and things. And the rural population is really poor. So, Adventure tourism has huge potential. So we did this six-day ride through the mountains and and the uh, hosts had um, given us little 3G SIM cards to put in our phones so that we could, super nice, like if, in case you want to be connected and it was the worst thing they could have done. Because everybody's on Well, because one, I mean, the, one of the riders at least was just on it all the time. It was more important to Instagram. So I'd see him just, we're sitting in a, in a, in a local's hut it's sheltering from the rain. She's welcomed us in. Like, absolutely amazing. We've got a local fella there who can we can translate a bit. And this guy's just on Instagram. Scrolling through other people's lives. Yeah. Rather than being there in the moment. And he's a well-known and respected rider. And he has a whole... It's really hard, isn't it? Because it sounds it like is, I'm judging No, it is really I'm hard. Not. Because it, cause ultimately, they are very... It's calculated to, to make you addicted to it, isn't it? You know, it's... It, it, it really is as well. I mean, that's not like a kind of conspiratorial comment yeah. or, or even a very yeah. original comment. It just is true. Like they, is, they are yeah. engineered clever. to be addictive. Very clever and stuff. And every, it works on everybody. Yeah. So it's, so it's, yeah, I almost like want to launch a campaign of, you know, just put it down and, and live that moment, live that moment in the African hut. You can check your Instagrams later, but just get encouraging people to identify those moments. Yeah. Because we're all becoming, this amorphous kind of blur of we're not we're just people around tables at pubs and dinner and they're all just looking at other people's lives instead of communicating and we're we're losing this ability to to communicate aren't we well i mean you have to use those tools as well though don't you as you've you've described a bit earlier so how do you square that to just try and be mindful? Yeah, that's quite hard. Actually. To just try and be mindful of it. Like, because yeah. obviously you're kind of caught in that game a little bit as you've, the you know, back in the day, obviously it was, it was a bit more straightforward. You do a trick, it's print, you know, that was the outlet. Mm. That was how people engaged with it. These days, you you do need to engage with that world, don't you? You have to, hence, yeah. you know, the crowdfunding and things like that. Exactly. You've got to contact, connect with And that. in a way so. that is contributing to the amorphousness of the... You know, so how do you how do you square that? Um, I don't know if I do square it. That's the problem. I mean, I I still have control over how I do it, which is why I have such a small following on 
social media because I just I don't play the game. You just don't go there. I'm a bit reluctant. I do have social media, you know, Instagram and things. Yeah. At Dan Miller Photo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so I do I do play that game to a bit. And I, you know, I, I get caught up in that. I've got an ego. Yeah. Of course I have. And yeah, it's lovely likes. to see loads of likes and yeah. things like that. But I'm aware that it's a game, but I don't let it get in the way of the priorities yeah. of what I need to do. You know, I'll, I'll push it to to build momentum towards uh, Kendall Film Festival or something, saying I'm doing a talk or just post stuff up that's interesting, trying to build a following, which helps with my own sponsorship and yeah. things like that. But I'm, I'm a minnow, yeah. a large sea of But I guess it's bass. just about learning how to manage it, isn't it? Because it's new territory, all this, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, like people are, it, it's changed people's, lives and minds and perceptions so much that everybody you know everyone is learning how to yep. balance it i guess yeah but i think that balance has, has shifted so far in the wrong direction for people i don't know whether there'll ever be a backlash i think it would just evolve into a new yeah i think so as well set of social media and it will instagram would drift off and then something else it'll just be a new behavior that will become normal and it'll it'll start to sort of correct i reckon yeah you know so well, what i was going to ask you is the travel and and you were you were realizing that you know you were experimenting with photography traveling so when did the kind of snowboard shift happen when did you get into that world and also like how did you get into it because it's again it's a little bit incongruous really to go from the background that you're describing into what is essentially a very privileged world let's say yeah it was yeah i haven't i don't think i really got my head around that myself yeah um i've struggled with that (laughs) (laughs) it's so I came back from uh, that South America trip and stuck a pin in the map, uh, quite literally. Got together with a couple of mates and we said, where are we going to live? We all want to live together uh, in in the UK. We'll each stick a pin in the map and decide which one sounds best. And we, we stuck a pin in each and got to Bristol. So we moved to Bristol and I got a job straight away in a bike shop spannering bikes right and then picked up a job for working for the national rivers authority doing pollution control pollution monitoring work which you know touches on my degree but isn't actually really that much to do with it so it was quite an outdoorsy job it's like four out of five days out outdoors a week so fitted exactly what i wanted you know and at that time you know i'd been skiing a couple of times because my mum this is weird. Like my mum had old German pen friends. And for some reason, at some point, uh, well, we used to go on family holidays and, to Germany and visit and stay with these pen friends when I was a little kid. And when I got old enough, they said, one of them said, uh, do you want to, you know, we go, I saw these skis in their basement and uh, for, you know, Germans and Austrians and things like that and French, it's just what you do. Yeah, yeah. Any, grow, middle, grow any middle class it. family just goes skiing, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't really cost anything. You just go on your back in local hill. So they said, do you want to go skiing? And obviously it's a 12 year old or something. I was like, yeah, it's amazing. Let's do it. And somehow they'd sent me out to stay with his family one week in the winter and I got a bit hooked on skiing. So even as a student, I, you know, would try and save bit of money which sounds a bit mad as a student saving money this was back in the day when you got grants and, yeah and everything was paid for another not, thing which seems like a ridiculous throwback doesn't it yeah it wasn't that long ago i got a grant 
Yeah. Yeah. And it should be. It should yeah. be like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like if we want a if we want an an educated society, you need to educate them, not get people to pay for it. That's amazing how idea. quickly that become a complete digression, but amazing how quickly as well what used to be normal becomes like very not normal. I mean, yeah. now, you know, the idea for, yeah. imagine if politician stuck their hand up now and said, we're going to make higher education free. Yeah. You know, you, everyone would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, it'd be yeah. never, you know, but it was completely normal. Well, there are one or two out there that do say that. So well, yeah, maybe they should turn some more heads. You know what I mean, though? It, like, it's been, the, the new status quo has been normalized very quickly yeah, on that front. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was this, like, even grungy, uh, <coughs> even a grungy student, I was, I would scrape together a bit of money and I'd go on ski trips by bus. Right. And on Teletext, we had this thing called Teletext, yeah. <laughs> you know, before the internet and everything. And it was just yeah. like endless, three days before the time I'd booked off holiday, I'd just scroll through Teletext holiday information and they got the last minute offers. This is how the information was, was relayed <laughs> so to funny. us back in those days, you know, in the early 90s. And so I would get a last minute book in you know going by bus to the alps to chamonix or something for 200 quid all in in a chalet it's like how can you go wrong yeah Those passes were cheap then yeah yeah it's like 250 quid for a whole week away skiing so i just got kind of got into it and then got into snowboarding and i started cartooning drawing cartoons sort of had this artistic bent and Started doing full page cartoons for this magazine called Snowboard UK. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know like, that's I'd how I draw these it. illustrated cartoons and created these characters, which were clearly plagiarized from from a uh, motorbike. Was this with um, Eddie Spearing? Eddie Spearing was the editor, yeah. Johnny so this, Barr this was. This is early, early this is This is late 90s. This was kind of, yeah, mid, mid 90s. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how you mid got into 90s, it. Yeah. Right. So I started working with Snowboard UK on that. Then I left the, my job and went off cycle touring around Argentina and Chile for a year uh, with, with my, my girlfriend Angie. And at that time, because we, we had sort of family, it's such a long, complicated way of explaining this. But essentially, yeah. we hauled our snowboard kit to South America with us and dumped it at some friend's house. And then in the winter, their winter, we grabbed our snowboard kit. And on that trip, cycling and snowboarding around South America, uh, I did a couple of stories for Snowboard UK. And when we came back, I, I got back into the bike industry really quickly. The Bristol was really good for that. And But I just said, after six months being selling bikes at this bike company, I just said, you know, I need to just do my photography. So, right. And I knew Johnny Barr, and he was... Uh, he, he was a photo editor, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he was photo editor for Snowboard UK. So he said, well, me and James Stenterford are going off to share a house again in the in Chamonix next winter. Do you want to be one of the four that we need to share this house? So I just went for the winter, and that just kick-started it. That was it. It was just in so at the shot, deep end. Shot just with them, obviously. Shot with them. And I was like, they, yeah, I have a lot. I owe them a lot. They, they put me on the map, you know, yeah. they cut me some slack. And this was shooting film. It's a pretty hard learning curve. Yeah, yeah. Shooting film. And I'm sure they weren't exactly making it easy ter- <laughs> no, really, terrain wise. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. it. You had to be pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Like, to get you know, about yeah. and, and follow, them, there. Yeah. follow them down stuff. And then in, you know, in 99, we did the first British snowboard trip to Alaska. I remember. 
classic quick shot of Johnny. Yeah. Real classic cover. shot with the clouds, right? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that shot. Yeah. And, definitely um, want to put that in the, in, in, on the yeah, website. Yeah, bring it in there. Yeah. And so that kind of, I mean, that just, that was it. It was just jumping around. I was sofa, couch surfing yeah, you did around. The, you, you just did, do what you do you to did make the things thing, work. You? you basically did endless seasons, endless trips, yeah. shooting and I everybody. Think, yeah, I think my weakness was I never really studied. I didn't study photography. It was just self-taught. That's right. not a weakness. But the weakness was in the commercial side. Right. I never I never looked at how you would price up doing a photo shoot, how you would really make any money out of it. Right. So I never did make any money right. out of it, basically. You weren't. You didn't have the Nick Hamilton gene. No. <laughs> Ironically, the, the year he was offered photo editor job at Transworld I was offered the photo editor job at Onboard in the same year the same few months you didn't take it though and I didn't take it because I, I just saw it as being quite office based yeah and I didn't I got offered it. the editorship of Onboard around then I didn't take it for that reason as well because yeah. I just thought I, just, I don't know I just felt it was a bit I was same thing I was just into the traveling so I just yeah. wanted to keep traveling really yeah, and being and being out on the mountain and shooting, go, and go going riding, and and being in the thick yeah, of it, yeah. not asking a boss to do it. Yeah. So I weighed those two things up and and turned it down. Yeah. And just carried on. See, so and that was, I mean, you. So you did everything at SUK, didn't you? You were photo editor. Well, then it, yeah, then it became. You know, we had a publisher that was pretty dodgy. Yeah. I'm totally open with that. He was, yeah. He's a knob. Yeah. And so there was there was yeah, yeah please do fire away <laughs> <laughs> yeah checks checks tape is recording um because you had there was two phases wasn't there didn't didn't wasn't there a second guy came in because it was you like marcus chapman copsy we had you and there was yeah, that era had, wasn't yeah. there and you guys ran it for like a few like you know i can't remember the chronology but that was the, the team wasn't it you know is that right? Am yeah, I, am Carl, I remembering Carl, that? Carl Doherty was, was in there Carl. before that. It, yeah, it yeah. seemed to have this pattern of getting a new editor Sorry, every year or two, and um, this deputy editor would step up to the editor role. Yeah, when the editor left, so we went through this cycle of about seven editors in as many years. Yeah, and then at the end, we we had a, a void, a gaping void left, and we ended up being myself and you and pretty much putting the magazine together for the last few issues yeah uh, while the guy just like pulled money out of it to find to put in his porsche or something did he sell it in the end he just folded it he folded he it he just collapsed the mag and declared himself bankrupt leaving us all lots of in debt yeah not paying us but it limped on a bit didn't it because then there was it limped on because it, had, it lost a lot of industry support because yeah. of the nature of the publisher and i was and that's another probably another mistake i made was not seeing that happening yeah. i was quite loyal you know i as far as i was concerned i was we were putting out a really rock solid product yeah like, this magazine's amazing well, you we, guys were pouring your heart into it yeah I mean, that's what you like, were doing yeah everything was going into it yeah and and then suddenly you know i hadn't really seen it coming he just pulled the plug and folded it and uh, didn't pay us the money he owed us and uh, it's quite a bitter pill to swallow yeah but weirdly that was exactly the same time as i hooked up with jeremy jones yeah it well was i was pretty uh, much the same you did year. you did my link for me there you go because yeah. i was gonna say well i can see you holding up that board that oh. says link jeremy jones <laughs> i was gonna say you spelled jeremy was this wrong about then? the time that you hooked up because you did all those <laughs> big projects right yeah I, I hooked up with jeremy shooting for another sponsor of his yeah that i had um already done a photo shoot for and uh 
they flew me over. This is really mad, like ex-punk and all that. Yeah. Like fly me over business class for a three-day shoot. Right. I mean, imagine that nowadays. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Or even to get away with Did that. Did you have trouble squaring that with your... Uh... <laughs> no, I just ate more free, free peanuts. And, uh, I'm going to stay. You've got matchsticks out. Stayed awake. <laughs> so you could eat the... Eat the uh, well, not steak, yeah. being that you're uh, yeah, obviously vegan. a vegetarian. Yeah. But a vegan, in, yeah, indeed. Um, right, so that was the association with Jeremy. And, yeah. then, and then you worked with him on all those projects. Yeah, right? so he... I went and did this three-day shoot with him in Jackson Hole yeah. at New Year. I and flew out on New Year's another Eve. Another, like, proper in at the deep end. Yeah. Did it and feel it was, like that? Oh, my God. It was scary. We, they had enormous amount of snow. The avalanche risk was huge. Yeah. We were treading so lightly in the backcountry, yeah. and just horrifically so. And we had, in three days, several events that were just proper poo your pants. Yeah. Like, nasty, like, it, settlements. It, it, it and sounds pretty pretty scary that but on the last day it was just me and him we had another crew with us for the first couple of days and we hiked this core and i shot these pictures and one ended up one of the last issues of snowboard uk on the cover of him dropping into this core shot from above and so i i thought this just sort of conveys that feeling that few few people get of looking down a core rider like that yeah you, you very rarely get to see that you usually see these barbie angles shot from miles away yeah square on of some little rider in a core, right? But that gave so, you the pitch and the exposure. Yeah. And, yeah. So I just the thought, reality well, look, of it. I'm up here with him. Let's shoot looking into it as him just sliding in. He's not even turning or anything. He's just sliding into the core. Yeah. And uh, and he said, you know, at the time he said, you know, you're pretty much the only snowboard photographer I know that seems to be able to access these spots. I know other guys on skis, but I've got a project coming up that I want, a, I want a photographer who's on a snowboard to come in with us. And sure enough, a couple of months later, he, he gave us a shout and said, and Look, was, we're going to deeper. Yeah, that's yeah. good, dude. Yeah. Because I interviewed him about that time and I said, oh, you're working, okay. you're in, you're working with Dan, aren't you? He's like, we love Dan. He said, who? We love Dan. <laughs> he was proper like... Yeah, well, tell him to answer my email. He was he, what he was really like, oh, Dan. Because he, he was, in, he was in, impressed, obviously, with the fact that you... Yeah. Because I remember looking at that and thinking like, fair play, that is, you know, that that is a... That's a punchy one. It's a punchy brief, you know, to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to follow this guy around, you know, was that? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is really. You've got to know what you're, yeah. what you're doing. And I think I've always had this thing where I've, I've never really been one for hero worship. I just, they're just people you work with and they're, they're great, huge names in the industry. It's same with bike stuff. They're just people you work with and you, you make it work. It's a partnership and I, I, I admire them and everything else, you know, don't yeah. get me wrong, but I'm not, oh my goodness, you've got to, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah, you sure. Know, you just do it. It's not your style, is so it? <laughs> you just, yeah, so you just sort of slide in, slide it down this couloir behind him and, yeah. and rip these lines and go, oh, that was, yeah, that was full on. Because you had that mad one where you weren't you like tent bound for like 10 days or something? Yeah, deeper. The first 2009 trip, Yeah, um, we had, we didn't see it coming. We had a big storm Yeah, in deeper. It ended up this like monumental episode in deeper where we got 10 day storm and it just pinned us in camp. We ran out of food and everything. It How's was, that? A few games of shared? Yeah. Well, it was, <laughs> it was really funny because we had all taken a novel, a book each. Right. Expecting what some downtime. I can't remember exactly what I took, but essentially, hopefully War everybody had, yeah, <laughs> it should have been. Yeah. Um, everybody had taken a book that was about expeditions and we're right. thinking this is the place to read something like this. In One a of tent, them. Camping yeah. on a glacier. And, um, but I'll tell you what, you're reading a book about somebody 
eating their sled dogs. Snowbound in a tent. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. that's exactly what he was. And that's all the reading material we had as a group was yeah. these tales. The of, history of the Franklin expedition. Yeah, yeah it was a lot of that. Shackleton. And, yeah, yeah. yeah like, things like that. Descent into cannibalism. Yeah, a yeah, lot of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, John, Jonathan Moore's dogs got looked at. Yeah, Even yeah. I looked at those dogs yeah. with hungry eyes. What an amazing yeah. period, though. Yeah. That's brilliant. Because yeah, they were so I, seminal, yeah. those films as well, obviously. So to be in the thick of it, you know, they were, they were massive, those I think films. so, yeah. And I think I'm guilty of not seeing the importance of those, the, what I've participated in. Yeah. And the same with Mountain Bay, because it's just what I, I do. And there is a bit of a thing. I came across um, another photographer, David Guttenfeller, who's... I was looking at his work because he'd shot some stuff in North Korea for National Geographic. And I came across a few months ago, he did this great little three minute film where he talks about the awkwardness of being a photographer like him right which is essentially i have a lot of overlap with with him in terms of the locations and the kind of the lifestyle we lead and what we go and do and what we're driven by right and that sounds interesting coming back you know and being at dinner parties and and he he may, he has this line in it where he says you know it's quite awkward at dinner parties because somebody will say oh yeah you know i got on the bus or some something happened on a bus and i'll chip in with oh that reminds me of the time i saw you know saddam hussein's dead body wheeled out in a wheelbarrow or right. something you know and it completely blow everybody else out of the water everyone's like all right mate yeah all right yeah, <laughs> yeah all right you trumped us again yeah Great. yeah nice so I, i'm actually the opposite i sort of play it down too much almost don't say anything yeah outside of my trips like i let the the features in magazines and the kendall film sh- the slideshows i do do the talking yeah and i don't i'm actually almost conscious of never really talking much and partly you come back from a trip and your mates go how was it was it good and you go yeah it was yeah it was good it's, it's quite right. tough yeah and they go all right then yeah so so the other day right my ford escort yeah, i blew yeah. a valve and and you're just back into this normal life which is they just have no way of contextualizing what you've just done carrying bikes 5,000 meters up in Afghanistan you know yeah just can't do it you're quite good at decompressing now like from those trips because that can take a while can't it you know when you when you immerse yourself in something like that to come back to the yeah the I'm real learning. world I'm learning know? I'm all right decompressing yeah um you start refusing to not... do the washing up for Angie yeah I'm, I'm always amazed that you can just turn a tap on and get drinking yeah. water out of it that yeah, always I, is mind Don't remember you the washing up. I've just come back <laughs> from North Korea. I'm more important than this. <laughs> don't you know do you I know am. what I've just photographed? Yeah. Did, didn't you see the slide of me carrying the bikes? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's... I, I did compress all right. I'm, I'm learning not to take too much on. And I think the weird thing is... You it could doesn't look, look like it, I've got to I say. Know, well, that's, that's, I know. I think you need to try harder with that. This is the paradox, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't matter how much I've done. I'm always sort of eager for more. And it's almost like I'm starting to feel like I'm running out of time because I'm really? getting old. And that's just uh, that's just facing up it's to mortality. The getting faster. And the human, uh, the human uh, you know, existence. And but what drives that then? Because that's a pretty formidable work, work, work ethic, easy for me to say. So what, what has, where does that come from? Hmm. Because, I don't know. You know, like to do even the, what you've just said. Then, like, I feel like I've run out of time. Run out of time for what, though? Like, to, to to just live. keep to just keep to, to just keep milking it, ring, yeah. wringing the rag dry as much as you can. Yeah, not to do with work, but just to the experiences. Have the experiences. Yeah, I think I wouldn't say they're addictive. I mean, it depends on your nature, but it's just there is just certain element that makes me feel like 
you know, I'm driven to taking more and more of these things on. Yeah. Really, the, more, the older you get, the more you feel like you need to, to do be. more of yeah. it. At the same it's time. It's kind of what you, I was getting at earlier when I said you're still doing it, you know, which is, which among almost everybody else has, has mellowed out in some way. Mellowed out's the wrong way of putting it. You know what I mean? Yeah, though, like I has, 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 yeah. has tapered off, let's say. They do the washing up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They've got, they're stacking the dishwasher neatly. <laughs> dishwasher? <laughs> they do those now. Are you a restacker? You're a dishwasher restacker. I don't know what a restacker is. You know, go to the dishwasher and when you see something like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, that's not how you do it and restart. Oh no, it. no, it's not a good at test all. that though, not at all, because people do that. No, and no, that's you, like that. Now that is the sign no, of a I control know somebody freak. Somebody who is, but it's not me. That is, that yeah. is control freak yeah. right there. No, I'm not. I don't think I'm. Con- I'm a control freak in my own life. You know, um, I like. I have problems with control, and feeling like I'm not in control. Really, which is very odd considering what I do, because there's so many times driving it, bouncing along in a jeep. You have no control. Yeah, and so I have could, to relinquish that. So, and that, and is that a way of you dealing with that? Then putting yourself in these situations where you you actually really don't have any control because you know you go to North Korea, you know, keep coming back to that, or you go to Pakistan, or you go mm. to these places. Yeah, you you know that's the fundamental part of it, isn't it? You are you are relinquishing that that day to day control yeah, that think, you have. Yeah, I think it probably is because the rest of the time you're sort of panicking about not being in control i get really if i'm really run down after a trip it's not the decompressing it's the how do i how do i think straight i suppose that is decompressing but i can't think straight and everything gets a bit too much because it's all piling on and i can't i can't control that yeah you know and then it's that's when you get the map out yeah (laughs) it's exactly it. that's when you get on google maps oh it's crazy you can lie in a tent on the top of a mountain in the worst weather ever and just think, oh, I'd love to be back at home yeah, watching can't Netflix. To, can't wait to get home. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then you're back home for a week and you go, oh, I really just got to. Yeah. And this is what this guy talks about in his, in his little, right. little clip, you see. It's well, a similar thing where you're a driven. Dri- it's you're a, driven. I was, exactly what I was about to say. It's a drive, isn't it? It's, it's, there's, a, there's a particular motor at play, you know, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to try and, well, if you're going to dedicate your life to doing that for as long as you have, you know, there's yeah. something going on there that's driving you to do it, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there is a side to it, especially, especially with the photography. I'm much more driven now to shooting stories that have some social, socio-political kind of backstory. Yeah. Something that has some more substance. And, you know, I'm constantly looking at, all right, how do I move my my marketplace for want of a better word the magazines i the the media output that i do how can i move it into titles that that will have space for those kind of stories is that a way of coping with the frivolity of it all yeah just i definitely had a bit of backlash against the snowboard thing yeah i got burnt out on it and i was like this is just rich kids dicking about well it is Sorry, it everyone. is. It, <laughs> oh yeah, it is. It is basically in the big scheme of things. Well, you know, obviously there's there's much more to it than that, but you know, it's because I I used to sort of justify those trips that we'd. Uh, you know, to be frank, a lot of those trips that we did, a lot of it was to make myself feel better about mm. the fact I was going snowboarding. Mm. Really, if I'm being completely honest, you know, it's a bit like, well, let's try and do something at least a little bit worthier. Yeah, you know, but I think it's a, I think it's a cop out, really. I think if you're actually gonna going to do something that was worthy you wouldn't be going snowboarding i think it's 50 shades though isn't it it is a spectrum and i think you can not saying oh well i've justified doing anything by 
uh, I can do anything I like by justifying it by saying, well, I've got a political story to tell or yeah. a hint of no, that. No, I'm interesting because you're such a thinker and somebody, mm. I'm, I, I guess you've probably thought about this and I've certainly thought about it. So I'm just interested to hear your view. Yeah, there's definitely been some sort of guilt involved yeah. where I've thought, you know, I need, there needs to be more than this. Yeah. So I'm not, I am actually not really interested. I'll, I'll ride my bike at home. I'll snowboard for fun and it's great. You know, it's just fun. You go and do it. But as soon as you get out of that, then if it's for a story, then I, I'm trying to find more, you know, North Korea or something that will not adventure for adventure's sake. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a big part. And I think that should be in people's lives because that adventure, that's that free thinking. It's that it's that time out from all the other pressures that you need to grow your own spirit for want of a better word yeah I'm, you know i'm not a hippie in that way but no it's you, important you need though it, you, know? you need it of course you do mm. i mean those things are the fundamental if yeah. you're going to be happy with yourself and what you're doing so i think yeah it's work-wise i've been trying to evolve it yeah and i think they're just ticking a different box in myself the curiosity box and it's almost going full circle you know back to the late 80s and going away to look for that political yeah right stuff and it doesn't have to be like crazy war i mean we did a trip in lebanon a couple of years ago riding 50 miles from the syrian border everybody said you will you'll never come back and yeah. you know the same You'd thing they always to radiators. say <laughs> it's like, yeah i know remember the radiator yeah yeah thing and yeah. there's bombed out buildings and there's plenty of evidence it's not a 30-year war but it's amazing to go and the people are the most friendly you know you've got muslims and christians and everything living alongside yeah 18 recognized different religions in parliament seen it all and it's yeah you can't you know, shock them with anything. No, just like, just genuinely probably pleased that you were there. Yeah, and just rolling out onto a road at the end of a trail, bewildered from what you've just ridden or carried bikes through or whatever. And just two guys in a car, look super dodgy. The, the, the wheels aren't the same. The hubcaps are different, you know, everything on this car. And you think, oh God, this is a bit scary. You know, it's... It's human nature. You feel a bit threatened. The first thing they do is like crack open a soda and give you a bottle of pop. It's yeah. Like, oh, how are you? You know, and they drag speak some in, French there. So drag, it's quite easy drag to... you into the house. Start feeding you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. More like, you know, so just fantastic experiences. And you just, yeah. that adventure thing is feeds your soul really. Yeah. So where's next? Last question. Where's next? Right. Last question. Poor, uh, well, we are working on some plans at the moment for March, probably March, April to Iraq. Wow. Northern Iraq. Really? It's an area there we want to go to. And I've got wow. a couple of... I've always got a list of projects going on. Whereabouts in, in Iraq then? Uh, Kurdistan. Kurdistan, uh, sure. Yeah. Is that Caspian coast then? Uh, no, it's inland. It's sort of between Turkey, Iran, Oh, so that's Black Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I get um, my geography quite mixed yeah, up around there. So, so it's north... The north part of Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. Right up against the Turkish. So you've got the Kurdish separatists in Turkey yeah. and all so this. So a very politically volatile area. It is, but a very peaceful area actually. Yeah. Um it's had a bit of ISIS on and off, but yeah. it's pretty pretty safe. So, Amazing. So where yeah. can people see your work? Where can people find what you do? Usually in uh, one or two uh, magazines online. Uh, my website, danmilner.com. Yeah. Um most of the stories I do go in one magazine in each country. Yeah. So usually mountain bike magazines, increasingly outside online, uh, mountain nice. bike in UK. Please cranked. tell me they pay all right. Mm. Well, you know, not they really. 
They pay. God. But you yeah. see, no, they would. It's not getting easier. No. <laughs> That's another living, podcast. But yeah. That, that was brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Lovely sharing it with you. Yeah, it's great. Thanks a lot, man. So there you go. That was my conversation with Dan Milner. Hope you enjoyed that one. If you want to find out more about Dan and his travels, head on over to my show notes over at www.wearelookingsideways.com where you'll find an absolute shitload of reference material to get stuck into in the show notes. Links to Dan's articles, photos and much other contextual info for starters. For example, a link to Kevin Kelly's 1000 True Fans essay if you're interested in that one. And while you're there, you know what to do. Have a scroll through the back catalogue, which is now stretching back into over 60 episodes. You can also find the links to my shop if you fancy supporting the cause by buying some merch. There's a link to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Been a bit quiet over there recently, people. And those twats at Apple actually lost about half my reviews. So uh, I'm currently looking a little less popular than I did last week, but they assure me they're going to sort that one out. You'll also find links to my social feed, yada, yada, all the rest of it. So housekeeping corner and a fairly busy bout of housekeeping this week. So I just got back from Maribel where I was hosted by my friends at Wavelength Media on their annual Wavelength Summit. And very good fun it was too, hanging out with pals, riding a bit of a rocky powder, drinking the odd beer. Yes, I am drinking again just for December anyway. And now, like I say, I'm off to the airport in about 20 minutes. Uh, I'm off to Munich, where I've been asked by to be a member of the prestigious ISPO jury and help um, decide who's going to win the ISPO awards at the 2019 ISPO event. Along with a lot of my industry peers, got to be honest, no idea what that's going to entail, but it sounded like a laugh and an interesting experience, so I thought I'd do it. Keep you posted on how that one goes, as ever. I'm sure I'll be putting stuff on my Instagram stories over at We Look Sideways. Elsewhere, the nice people over at Surf Simply have been in touch for an interview with me about the podcast. They also run a very uh, interesting podcast over there, so you should go and check that out if you've not listened to it. Bit of a lengthy interview, that one, to be honest. Understandably, fairly focused on the surf episodes. So I've been chipping away answering the questions I was emailed for that. I will, of course, be sharing that one once it's up. And... uh, Yeah, I've also been donning the journalism hat once more. It's been a while. I've been quite enjoying that. I've got a few stories coming out in the next few weeks, which is nice, um, notably in Metro. So if you find yourself idly flicking through Metro on a Monday morning uh, in the the near future, check it out. You might see some stories from me. Yeah, I'm also continuing to plan this winter and work out what trips I'm going to do. I've been offered a trip to Japan in January, although unbelievably it looks like I might have to turn that one down for the second year running, which would be fairly ridiculous. Anyway, I hear you all reaching for the world's tiniest violin, so I'll get going. Um, That's it from me for this week. Big thanks once again for listening. I'll be back next week with my drumroll Christmas special. Yep. I've trailed it before, but it's a two-hour bonanza with my old friends Tim and Gendel that will be dropping on Christmas Day in another exploration of one of the key podcast tropes. Make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe where you'll get one of those nice new notifications telling you it's in your inbox. Uh, In the meantime, all right, catch you later. Nice one.